Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Hello, we're your Marketers in Motion podcast hosts. I'm Josh Janowiak. And I'm Megan Pear. Today's topic, cultural competence and the new marketplace. The truth comes with every phone conversation, every email or text received. Your customer base is more diverse than ever, and nowhere is this new reality experienced more than your brand's marketing efforts. A marketer's ability to navigate the shifting cultural landscape plays a crucial component in your organization's ability to forge long-term success. With an ever-changing marketplace, organizations who are considered to be the leaders in employee and customer engagement understand that opportunities to connect with new customers and increase marketplace presence are endless. But building those relationships take time. The dividends, however, are both tangible and sustainable. This is a extremely relevant topic in today's world, so I'm super excited to dive in. But before we do that, want to thank our sponsors. Again, all of our amazing AMA West Michigan sponsors, they support not only our podcast, but our entire AMA West Michigan season. So at first, a thank you to our podcast sponsor, River City Studios. Josh, you are joining us there in studio. So thank you uh, to the, say hi to the guys behind you. And uh, hi, Cody. Uh, we are very grateful for them. Uh, they've been supporting us even with, you know, half of us being remote and half of us being in studio. They've been fantastic. So if you haven't checked them out yet, River City Studios, they offer recording, mixing and mastering for podcasts, TV, film, radio and musicians. Visit them online at rivercitystudios.com. We also would like to thank our annual sponsors that support our programming year round. We again, appreciate their continued support even in these new and changing times. Uh, so our gold sponsors, MI Biz and Bizcom Media, our silver sponsors, Pageworks, Bird and Bird Studio and Red 66 Marketing and our bronze sponsors, OFA and Grand Valley State University Conference and Event Planning. We are still going strong with our AMA West Michigan luncheon events. They're just virtual this year. Our next virtual webinar, Building an Innovation-Led Organization with Joshua Barker, CEO and Managing Partner of City Innovation Labs, will be held from noon to one on Tuesday, March 23rd. How does one build an innovation-led organization? What is the secret to continually bringing innovative products to market? What are some of the do's and don'ts? Register today at amawestmichigan.org to find out. Members and those unemployed or under employed are free. Future members are only $15. While you're on the website, uh, we're also always seeking an infusion of new ideas, energy, and enthusiasm to be involved in our local chapter. We are a volunteer-led organization and are only as strong as those willing to commit to lead. Past board members will tell you that being a chapter leader has been one of the most fulfilling volunteer commitments they have made both professionally and personally. In addition to enlarging your professional network within West Michigan and National involvement with our board will also offer the chance to hone your leadership skills through AMA national resources and events. We've got a few positions open for our 2021-2022 season, so please head to the website if you are interested in becoming a board leader. Again, that's amawestmichigan.org. Click on About and select Join Our Board. Awesome. All right. Well, let's dive in and meet our guests for today. So yes, we are excited to welcome Scott Welch, and he is the principal slash founder of Global Bridge Builders. And this is a firm that focuses on organizational development, cultural transformation, and inclusion. Now, Global Bridge Builders is an international team providing services to enterprises across the globe. The organization bases its work on the core belief that inclusion is a business discipline and that it should be leveraged across all the enterprise does. Love that. To gain this leverage, the firm applies a continuous improvement model anchored in metrics. 
Scott has been a global bridge builder long before he founded the company in 2006. Growing up in a military family gave Scott a unique perspective on diversity that he still carries and a passion for helping organizations tap into the vast experiences of their employees to create stronger businesses. Welcome, Scott. We are so excited to have you. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you again for the invite. Really appreciate it. Of course. Well, and I suppose a few things may have changed even um, since you presented us back in, I think that was October, correct? I think it, yeah, I think it was October. Yeah. So we were optimistic that once 2020 ended, that everything was all going to be roses again. And then uh, 2021 started. <laughs> That's right. And we're <laughs> continuing on the path, right? Still making lemonade. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think what's interesting about that is just, of course, so much that has happened politically, and I'm not going to go into all of that, but just, uh, you know, as far as the disparity and, and what we're seeing now across the nation between all of these different ethnic groups, um, I mean, I, I'm sure we can kind of weave that into some of our conversation, but let's talk to you a little bit just about diversity here and and how <clears throat> we as marketers can be more cognizant and basically get out of our break our paradigms and, and shift our thinking a little bit to attract new people. You know, I think, Josh, the the, the marketplace has always been diverse, right? Mm. It's always been a mosaic, but it's just how organizations with marketing functions have decided to speak on the same frequency as those markets. Those markets have always had disposable income, but it's also a decision to make products and services that engage and speak to those markets in a meaningful way. And so this is something that it's been all around us, you know, all, all you know, for, for many, many, many years. Um, but I think what's happening that's a little bit different now is, is I think some of the layers are being peeled back to really see the markets and, and what is there. I mean, I remember one of the most interesting, one of the most interesting things I saw in terms of an, an organization, rather an industry, completely um, ignoring a market is um, for many, many years, you would never see a person that, that had a physical disability, right? A, a wheelchair of some sort. You'd never see them on any travel commercials, specifically large cruise ship lines. Yet, if you went back to the, to the multicultural uh, economic index, people with mobile disability actually spent 136, no, 30, I'm sorry, $36 billion on travel. And so what happens is they've always been there. And then I finally saw Carnival Cruise Line say, I saw a person, right, with their family and they were in a wheelchair. I said, okay, there we go. And what, what, what happens is that those organizations that are kind of first to the front, right, they're the ones that pioneer what that market looks like. And so I think it's more of a function of organizations being willing, willing to look at it, not as an issue, but as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, what be, might be helpful for our discussion today, too, is you did a really great job when you spoke to us back in October, kind of setting the foundation of some definitions, right? Um, so yes. maybe we can start here and then we'll, you know, we can dive into talking about that, that multi, multi-ethnic marketing. But let's talk about culture and diversity and inclusion. So if you can start there and kind sure. of define those for us, I think that'd be super yeah. helpful. No, absolutely, Megan. So diversity, I find, I define as essentially, I mean, like one word answers, diversity is an adjective. Mm -hmm. It simply describes, right? It talks about, it tells me who's in the room, right? So that's diversity. So it's funny too, when people say, or our clients say, well, Scott, we're looking for diverse candidates. I'm like, is that a, in juxtaposition to a fish? Because everybody on the planet is diverse. There's seven and a half billion different interpretations and manifestations of diversity, right? Mm -hmm. So diversity describes. Um, let's talk, let's say uh, inclusion. Inclusion essentially is the act of including, right? So it's not just looking at and kind of assessing who's in the room, but it's also allowing those voices, right? Those people, the, the, those folks to bring their full self into the room, right? To include them, right? And that's the difference between I call what I call a welcoming environment versus a belonging environment. Right. Welcoming can happen through a sign, but belonging can only happen through human beings. Right. We need each other. Then we've got cultural competency. Cultural competency, as it kind of looks at it, first of all, a competency is something that you never really fully can check it off. We continue to get better and better and better and better. Right. It's, it's the marathon. 
Culture is simply the way we do things in an organization, right? Um, there are different cultures in every organization, every city, right? Any industry. So when you talk about culture and you talk about competency, what you're saying is that it's it's actually a leadership and managerial skill. And even in fact, what we're doing now is we're, uh, as we've done for years, our clients, we actually uh, ultimately embed um, cultural competency as one of the kind of the things that the employees are held accountable for as uh, for their performance improvement plans, their, you know, their uh, performance appraisals, those types of things. We're getting it embedded into those job descriptions because we really want to help those folks become culturally competent leaders. Then you have equity and equity essentially means, you know, it's where I, I say equity equals access. And it's where you allow people, you, you bring people into the room and it's not just that they're there. It's not just that they're at the table. It's just not that they have some measure of understanding and their leadership has a measure of understanding about who they are and vice versa. But equity also says your voice has weight in this room. So I've seen, you know, after having been probably, I lost count of how many meetings I've ever been in in terms of just talking about this. But it's interesting sometimes when you're in a room and you hear somebody say something and then, then their, their words become ephemeral. They just evaporate. And all of a sudden, Someone says it on the other side and people say, now that is the best idea I've ever heard. I'm like, wait a minute, she, she just said that like, you know, six minutes ago. And so equity really allows the person's voice to have weight when they come into the room. Irregardless of their stature in the organization, I know plenty of people with big titles, but they actually don't have as much influence as their administrative assistant, by the way. Um, but it's great because what happens is, is when you can allow people to have um can it, you can allow them actually to contribute to a conversation. A good thought, good insight is just doesn't matter your title. It's it's just a good thought. So that's equity. So kind of just as you you know as we traverse that landscape, those are the terms. Um, culture again, the way we do things, ethnicity. We're talking about people groups, that type of thing. When when I say the word too mosaic, which is one of my favorite words, mosaic really talks about just the kind of the beautiful complexion of this multicultural, multi-ethnic marketplace globally. That's great. And I, I think that's going to be super helpful. It's just nice to have that, that foundation set. But I want to circle back to, to the cultural competency. Um, yeah. I, I know you talked a little bit about this in your presentation, um, but why it's important, why organizations need to, to start thinking this way. You talked about some three different areas, which I think are helpful to kind of explain how you dive into this a little bit deeper. So if we can explore that a little bit more, uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, well, so the reason that cultural competency is 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 really critical is because, again, these people have been here for, for centuries, right? But the whole idea is of being culturally competent is that if an organization can risk not being culturally competent. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even talk to people about the business case for diversity anymore because that train has left the station eons ago. Uh, but cultural competency is actually the gift that keeps on giving. And so it's not, again, I don't look at this as an issue to be solved. It's an opportunity to be enjoyed. And so the reason that a person would want to become more culturally competent is it simply makes them a better leader, right? We took both our, our kids, my, well, actually our son, he was, uh, he's, he's older than his sister. We had him in private school, right? But then we found out that there was a district, uh, just a public school district that had 70 languages from 90 countries. And uh, I said, this is really amazing. We actually took the kids and took Brandon and his sister. We plopped down in, you know, in, in Kentwood and said, you know, this is what we want. And these are some of the, some of the most well-adjusted kids I've ever met. They, because they're on a daily basis connecting with people from Afghanistan and Sudan and from Guatemala. And that's what the culture, that's the classroom. These leaders are going to be so adept at working with different markets around the world, it won't even be a big deal. So it's literally a gift. Both my son, he did an internship at Adobe, did design work in London, won a design work, flew to Japan. My daughter was a UX experience writer. Her intern was at Spotify. Um, and it was just like, it was like breathing for them. Why? Because they're culturally competent. Mm -hmm. And so we can't, I think what I love, one of my heroes, Seth Godin, you know, he says, safe is the new risky. And so 
what we have to do is understand that we actually ignore these markets or we actually resist change and growth at our own peril. Well, I think we found our next two podcast guests, by the way, your son and daughter, who sound just equally as amazing as you. <laughs> They're pretty um, amazing. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have to reach out to them. But I, I think when you talk about cultural competency, what I love too is from a marketer's perspective, and you talked a little bit about this, it's about us having that intellectual curiosity, you know, yes. and really diving in to learn about the different cultures and uniqueness of our markets and to understand them on a human level. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, you say that, Megan, and, and I tell folks it is intellectual curiosity, again, is such a wonderful thing. I've been in this space for 25 years now, and I still call myself a senior beginner. It's because I still got plenty of stuff to learn, right? Mm -hmm. I don't even, and when people say you're an expert, I'm like, okay, but yeah, that's not the way I describe myself. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a student. I'm a lifelong learner. That's kind of the main thing. And so when someone is intellectually curious, I tell you, it just pulls them into a different level of understanding. One of our clients right now, they're more, they're, they have one uh, strong international presence, but for the most part, they're domestic in some of the larger metropolitan areas. And we're actually re, re, kind of really enhancing how their salespeople are thinking now. It's like, don't forget to go into these establishments now where you may have not gone before. You've got something to say. You've got a product that they enjoy. And you're going to have to go to them. They're not going to come to you. And so go and engage that space. Have the meetings, right? And so what they're finding is, is there's almost like, it's almost like walking into, you know, Wonka land. It's like, wow, I, it's been here all the time, all the time. I've never seen it like this. I said, you know, and I'm a big movie buff. It's like when, what, when, when, uh, when, um, when Morpheus gave Neo, right, the, the, the blue pill, he says, he says, oh, my goodness, my eyes hurt. He says, it's because you never used them before. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what happens, he, you can't unsee what you've seen now. So now these salespeople, they go into these spaces and they're just they're coming alive because they walk past that that building so many times. And all of a sudden they can't unsee it now. And then there's an opportunity for a business relationship to start and, and friendships as a, as a great part of that as well. And and then from from the from the standpoint of the customer, what's great is and what the organization is saying or that salesperson or that marketer is saying, I see you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to make you be like me. I actually celebrate the fact that you offer me a market segment I've never, ever had an opportunity to do business with before. And so, and one of the things too, Megan, I, this is something I, people kind of, I, they, they miss. Uh, some time ago, I remember reading some, some research um, and it was out of a out of a PR public relations firm uh, called Target Market Research, and they said for every dollar that is spent, even in advertising in a uh, in a newspaper publication owned by just a person of color, so we're talking just ethnic diversity. We know there's so many more different dimensions, but let's talk about multi ethnic marketing. For every dollar spent, there's a seven dollar multiplier. Now, like, I mean, like, who wouldn't want a seven times return on their investment? So again, it's been here all along, right? We're not, so we're talking about ethnic diversity. We're, we haven't even hit generation or orientation or disability or, I mean, mm -hmm. there's so much there. I mean, and what we're going to have to do though, as I tell folks, we're going to have to actually redefine what currency is because there's relational currency. What does that mean? For years, my wife was in finance and in banking. She had the largest, and she's African-American. It's, it's germane to the story. But as, as an African-American woman, she had the largest following of Vietnamese customers in the entire system. Why? She knew the way that it worked. Once you actually provide just awesome customer service to the elder, who may have no fancy name, uh, may not have a big title behind his name, uh, you know, may seem fairly basic. But when he or she gives the nod, the village responds. She just honored that person because that's the way that she does. But she didn't know that she was tapping into a huge network. And so once she won his affection and he said, you know, you can trust this lady. I mean, it was just, it was nonstop. So the point is, is that we have to redefine what, cult, what, what currency is because sometimes cultural currency is actually, it, you can't even get to the financial currency until you address and, and really connect in terms of 
cultural currency, right? The person can give a nod and mobilize an entire city, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're too tied up in what the person looks like, uh, maybe their education, maybe what they dress, because it's not like us, or they may not speak like us, we miss out on the opportunity to engage an entirely new market. So cultural currency is another thing, relational currency rather. And I think we also have to um, really redefine how we look at markets. I find that there are even a lot of marketing um, kind of uh, data gathering. I'm working with a, a, a college right now, a large college. Um, and in terms of how they are talking to their uh, alumni in terms of giving, well, what's interesting is the platform that they use does not take ethnicity or generation or gender into account. It just mm -hmm. takes into account your giving capacity. And I'm saying you have an opportunity to add on top of that platform, those different dimensions and actually harness and actually have access to an entirely new group of alums. And they're like, wow, but the software doesn't do that. I said, yeah, exactly. Because the software is culturally incompetent. Mm -hmm. So that's why you have to make your own. And so if we are stuck in those kind of data analytics and it doesn't take those things into consideration, we actually gonna we're going to have to kind of make our own and tie some other parts to it um, because the opportunities there are just endless. I mean, just for instance, uh, African-American market is $1.4 trillion in disposable income. Again, that's just ethnicity and that's just one part of the tribe, right, of, of, of the family of man. I mean, you can't afford, I mean, like, it's too big of a target to miss. And yet you have organizations. When you look at the organization, you look at the board of directors, you look at their salespeople, there's no matching within that. And so until they understand, they won't even staff up to get a staff that looks like the market they want to reach. And all the while, their competitors are eating their lunch. Scott, I have a question in, in, in a couple of parts because I'd like to consider myself pretty open to multicultures, diversity, yeah. and I'm a, a marketer, very curious. I want to know, I want to know all these yeah. things about, yeah. about everybody. But I do know, and I think you had mentioned this at one point in your presentation, that we tend to associate with those that are very similar to us. And of course, I don't have any close friends in my circle that are multiculturally diverse. I do. Yeah. We do have diversity in age. And yeah. but again, you know, sure. I'll speak a truth here, whether it's a truth or not. I just maybe I'm not seeing it because it's not inside my circle is, you know, West Michigan right. is a yeah, is no where we are is a, a pretty, a pretty white community. I mean, there's not a lot of diversity. Sure, there's yes. diversity. It's out there. So my question is for somebody like me who wants to think that I am a, a feminist and I believe in, in women's rights and I believe in equal rights for all mm -hmm. ethnicities. How can yeah, I be sure. better myself? How can I get myself into those circles, which I'm not in now, so I can, I can help filter that down? And then two, a lot of places I've worked in, in my profession, very similar culturally. How can we also get people that are a little hesitant just because they've never experienced that before to be okay with that? Well, one of the things too, Josh, is my kids are fourth generation Grand Rapidians. So we've been out around mm -hmm. here for a long time, right? Um, and we've grown with the city. We've got a, a massive amount of Welches that are here, right? And so I always tell folks, it's really a function of, and so, and the city, I think, has at last number, maybe 13% African-American population. Um, so we have their opportunities, right? Sometimes we just need to, we need to change the rooms that we go into, right? And I tell folks, and, and here's the thing, I, I tell particularly within the industries that you're talking about and you're in and that we're in, comfort kills creativity. It's the antithesis. So a person has to de decide if they want creativity or if they want comfort, if they want the quilt, right? Or if they want this, this, these, these broader relationships, right? And so one of the things, Josh, is just, you know, I got involved with TEDx Grand Abbott. I was their curator, their mm -hmm. MC for three years, right? And I, and I did that because I'm actually, I love people that just think differently. And I know in order to do that, I need to be in rooms where people don't look like me, right? And so... That's where I would say, you know, how do you do it? Um, you know, there, there are events, even online now, uh, but when we can certainly kind of get together in rooms, 
I just, my wife and I, we've been chairs for uh, years now with the symphony. I was on the board of the symphony six, six or seven years. We just finished on Saturday, the celebration of soul. And it's a celebration of the community, all different parts of the community, celebrating leaders, right, in our community. And then they give that night's fundraise to brown and black kids that have the acumen and the ability to play classical instruments, but they don't have maybe the capacity for okay. private lessons. Well, we fund it. It's almost, Josh, like rooms like that. Like when we can get into a room again and we have that event, you got to come there. And you will meet so many. You're like, where have you been? This is just the weirdest thing. They'll be like, well, we've been here all along. It's just the same thing, right? Uh, TEDx was one of those rooms, right? Um, I do a thing called the Mosaic Film Experience, right? And it's where we bring different uh, kids from different districts together. We bring, you know, we bring YouTube in. We bring my friend that, that designed costumes for Black Panther and Bohemian Rhapsody. We bring them to Grand Rapids. And again, the kids and that community, and we bring professionals from locally, we bring them in as well. And so I always say, just kind of think about different rooms, right? And, and, and now you know me, right? And so there are certain, I can say, you know, Josh, check, okay, you should be a part of this event, or maybe think about going here or, or joining this. And it just, and then one relationship really just kind of opens another relationship. And for the people that are, that are, that are scared, here's the thing. The markets, the those the populations, those communities aren't going away. So either get used to it or live in a bunker, <laughs> right? It's 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 a choice, right? And so, and you know, and I actually it's interesting too because I meet people like that. I re I talk with folks like that all the time. What's interesting is I feel bad for them. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm not even really frustrated. I'm like. You just, you, there's a gift sitting right next to you and you've mm -hmm. never opened it. It's mm -hmm. called your neighbor. It's called a conversation with someone that looks different from you. And so they miss out. And, and you know, the thing is the, 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 the marketplace is so dynamic. It's so eclectic. It's, it's so heterogeneous. And so it's really when people are afraid and I know how West Michigan is again. Like I said, we've been here for years. But I tell you what's happening now that I see, and I sat on a different boards and things as well. I see that there's a different kind of, there's, there's some folks coming into town that don't fit the traditional bill. And they're saying, hey, you know, we're here. And what I'm talking about in my research around belonging is, okay, let's give them reasons to stay. West Michigan has given our family a reason to stay, but we also build the stuff that we want to that will make us stay too. We don't just sit and say, I wish we had this. No, we actually build it. My, my wife is a builder. I'm a builder. My kid, we teach our kids to build. And I was raised as a kid who it wasn't, if you're going to volunteer, it was where you're going to volunteer. So we've always lived like that. And so that's, that's why our world has been so eclectic. And I really think it works as well when you join boards and organizations where people are different. It's just happening. It just happens. Well, and when we're when we're built when we're building teams too, um, you, you talked about you know creativity is having different opinions, different backgrounds, different ethnicities in in the room with you, and I yes. and I love that. And I, I'm sad to say, in all the jobs I've had, and I've had a few, um, I think there's only been one where I've actually taken a, a personality. We did the uh, strengths finder in one, and we sat down together yeah. after I was already hired in there just to say, okay, here's your teammates, and here's your top five, here's their top five. So you know who the good communicators are, and you know who the good systematic people are so that you can complement each other. And I'm, I'm saddened that I yeah. don't see more of that in the hiring process because it seems like if you wanted to bring somebody into your organization, first realize you don't want to bring in the same people that just agree with you. You want to bring in people that are going to challenge right. you. And uh, with, with StrengthsFinder, if I remember correctly, most of that was just uh, like personality traits. Are there any tools out there that right. measure more than just personality that actually do ethnicity, age, and more? You know, there are. But, you know, individually, I'm more challenged to uh, kind of cite a tool, though I'm sure they're there. The Global Bridge Builders, we actually have something that is actually a proprietary tool. It's the only one of its kind 
we look at organization systems, right? So it's called the inclusion systems assessment. Mm -hmm. And it looks at five competency areas. And the reason that it's unique is because it takes the Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award and DEI. We're going after the measuring and metric based uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of image of the sustainable systems in an organization, not a diversity program. Diversity programs mm -hmm. are a dime a dozen, they don't last. They just leave a lot of people tired out, though they might be well fed. But, you know, because of the lunches or whatever. But I mean, <laughs> other than that, it's we look at systems, right? So one of the things that we do, Josh, with our clients is that, for instance, uh, we have law firm clients or we have uh, large uh, consumer packaged goods clients, right? One of the things we'll, we'll help them understand is we go into the assessment because part of the assessment looks at their customer base, right? External relationships. And. That, well, I'll, I'll just ask a question. Hey, so where do you guys recruit from? You know, and they'll say, oh, you know, from U of M and we do from some from Western or, you know, for, some have a broader network, you know, University of Georgia, Georgia Tech for engineers, things like that. And I'll say, hey, you know, have you ever, have you ever spoken to anybody at Howard University or Morehouse or, you know, University of, San, of Puerto Rico? No, I haven't. And I said, here's the thing. I'm not telling you to stop recruiting where you are currently recruiting. I'm saying add more because if you want to get different fish, you're going to have to go to a different pond, mm -hmm. right? And so we actually help our clients build relationships with organizations. We have one client that's that's in a, a beverage business. And so we begin to talk to them about introducing them to HBCUs. So folks, so they know what it means, it's historically black college and universities. Your Morehouse and Spelman, both of our kids went to this, uh, Howard University in Washington, D.C., my wife is, I'm the only oddball I went to Albion. For <laughs> so, uh, but what we do, so now there's there's a university. So my cousin, she has an organization called STEM Greenhouse, Dr. Kelly Christopher. And she is an alum. Her undergrad was at North Carolina A&T. Well, North Carolina A&T is an HBCU, but it also has one of the only majors on the planet that is an agribusiness and finance major, irregardless that it's an HBCU. So what do I do? I talk to my client. They're like, wow, I've never even heard of the school. Set up a meeting with the chair of the department because my cousin knows her. And now they got four interns coming in from, in June, coming to live here in Grand Rapids, you know, working in that business. So it's about developing relationships because once you develop a pipeline and that, that organization, right, that you're reaching out to, they begin to trust you. Then they begin to tip their informal network, their hand to you. And then that's when you know, you begin to have people come from all over the place. There's organizations like the National Black MBA Association, um, the uh, Hispanic Accounting. I mean, there, there's so many different organizations that are niche. Those are the opportunities. And that's how organizations can actually build their networks. You can talk to that organization, uh, have them do a presentation, and then see how, if, if there's some way to collaborate. Yeah. Well, you talk a lot about too, and you, you were explaining there, um, you know, it all comes down to just connecting on the basic human level with other human beings, right? Yeah. And yeah. you talked a lot about in your presentation, um, what you called value added selling and strategic storytelling. Um, and I always think, I, I mean, Josh knows this about me. I am a huge story person. I just, I could sit yeah. and listen to people's stories all day. I just find it so fascinating to learn about other people's lives and, and all the things that they're yes. going through. But let's talk about stories and the concept of, I mean, marketers, we get it. We've been doing stories right. for a long time, but let's talk about <laughs> that in the context of, you know, this, the selling and how we kind of go about looking at stories and, and utilizing that to enhance um, who yeah. we're connecting with. Sure. So uh, a few years ago, one of our clients um, had us create, a, it's called VAST, Value Added Sales Training. Mm -hmm. And the gift, the gift that they gave to us is that we had to actually administer and deliver this in seven other countries. <laughs> and so we had to get it translated and all these different things, right? But here's the thing. And, and they actually are a large chemical company. And what they were trying to do, and that's why, again, diversity, equity, and inclusion is such a business opportunity. They said, you know what? Could you help our salespeople from Singapore learn how to sell to our people in Brazil? Could you help the folks from Mexico City in, in Chihuahua? Can you teach them how to sell to our, our people that are in Germany? And so that was the challenge, a very big and daunting task. I mean, it's, but it's, it's been beautiful. They, you know, the, the template is there. 
What we did, Megan, is we taught them how to storytell around their product, right? And so it wasn't just the chemical that they were selling, but here's, you know, we taught them to actually build drama and narrative around their service. So, because the thing is, is if you focus on simply the product, ultimately the conversation is going to revolve around price. But if you have a story to tell and that story, your, your company is unique in some way, it has, you know, this particular company was a hundred and you know, was owned by a 126-year-old other company. They, they, they really enjoyed a nice market share. So we, be, and also unapologetically so, they were the most expensive of their kind in the market, yet they still had 80% of the market. And so that whole idea, and it was actually a three-day um, experience, 24 hours of content in all these different countries. But we taught them to, to talk about selling the story, right? Because once it's not about price, then you can get on the story. Once you find how you connect with your customer and find out what he or she values, and then you align those values with what you have, you match a story with a story. Now you've got a friend, right? And so we talked about a continuum and what you want to do. You want to get to the point where your customers bring you in to help develop new products. That's a trusted partner. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you're still on the outside, but they're saying, you know, help us develop this. And of course, they're going to have you do the business. And so what we had to do was we, we told them that, you know, if the, the whole idea around price is a slippery slope, it's a race to the bottom. But if we can actually show you how to talk about your product, which was superior, your delivery system, your customer support, people understand why you would actually, uh, why they do business with you. One of our other clients um, in Ann Arbor, uh, Zingerman's. Zingerman's is one of the most amazing um, companies on the planet. I just spent time with them today. Uh, what I love, I mean, love Zingerman's. Yeah, oh man, listen, there's so we all love, love here, about yeah. Zingerman's. Yeah, they're <laughs> We're just huge amazing. Yeah, it's just huge, right? So you know, I, we've been working with them. We've been honored to work with them for five years, and and of course, Paul Sagan and Ari have become dear friends. So we, I, what we, what I, what I, but what I was really enamored by the first time I got there, I was like, how can you sell? a roast beef sandwich for $14.99. Like, I don't get it. Well, then I just, I said, so they, you know, we sat down and they start talking to me about the process of the bread and the olive oil and its origin and the, you know, and where this, where this meat came from. Before you know it, I was like, oh, I get it. Oh, I need one of those like right now, right? They, they sold me on story and price became, it became a non-issue. So. When in within the context of multicultural, multi-ethnic marketing, once you really connect with your audience's story, maybe their history, their passion, uh, whatever that might be that's important to them, and then find out because there's something in all of us that connects to each of us, mm-hmm. right? Once you find that that common ground, then you just begin to relate as human beings. You know, one of the things I always talk about is Ubuntu, and I, you know. It's, I've done a lot of work in South Africa, and so I learned about this ideology. And essentially, Ubuntu is is the whole idea that a, a human being can only be human through other human beings, right? I am because you are is kind of what Bishop Desmond Tutu said. And so what happens is it, as long as people get a sense that you're reaching across to them and not reaching down to them, you can connect. Right. And so that's where I think the magic happens when you're looking at kind of talking to different customers or engaging new customers. There's a ton of stuff that I think a lot of times we put these uh, this kind of we, we put up the blocks. Right. And so we act as though we're from different species. We're not. We know a market is a market. Right. They have some of the same things. Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of goes to any part of the population. Right. It's the basic stuff. Just connect with your customer, try to bring value to their lives, make their lives easier with your product. And when you have opportunities where you have images of people, let some of the imagery, right? Let some of the staff, let some of the board look like the audience that you're trying to go after. Mm-hmm. And that's the opportunity. Yeah. And I think one way one way to do that, and I love that you mentioned this in your um, your presentation was... One of the the most, I think, underrated, you know, mo- but most critical skills of marketers today is listening. Yes, <laughs> huge. 
huge. I tell people, you know, to be a good listener is actually more difficult mm-hmm. than to, to be a great speaker. You know, uh, it was that that month where I spoke to the to the marketing group, I I had I actually got to the end of the month. I just kind of put my head down. I'm like, okay, I'll count at the end. I had done 64 different keynotes at the end of October. Wow. Wow. 64. <laughs> and so, you know, but I still tell folks, you know, you, they, how does this guy do this? I'm like, you know what? It's much more difficult to listen well than mm-hmm. it is to, to speak well. I mean, yeah, you can, you can do the gifts. You can talk, things like that. But I tell you, that's the part where I think marketing, the opportunity. And here's the crazy thing. So I look back, and again, I, I love my alma mater. I was a communications and broadcasting major. I didn't have one course on listening. <laughs> right. Mind blown. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you're right. And so over time, so now, of course, they've got listening. I mean, you've got batteries of classes around listening now. But you think about that, Megan. You know, mm-hmm. I would love, I had to talk with people that were good listeners. I had to take a class on it. I had to really studied listening to learn how to do it properly because there's so much in there and listening takes a lot of energy when we had one of our clients was the city of dallas texas we hosted over 2500 focus groups i did a ton of them when we were first starting out i probably did 500 sessions myself think about that 500 one and a half hour sessions of listening to employees from around the city. Wow. I'd go back to my hotel room, I'd stare off into space, and then I might turn to like Forrest Gump or something because I don't want to <laughs> think about anything. But did I learn how to listen? Oh, mm-hmm. on a whole nother level. So listening, and here's the thing, I think a part of listening is, is not assuming that you know what your customer needs, but give them what they want. Yep. Right? Don't have the solution in your mind, just go in to understand and say, I think I have a sense of what you might like, but can we sit down and you tell me what you actually, what, what would help make your business better, make your life easier and just let them talk. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing too, and I, I wrote this down, I had so many good nuggets from your presentation, by the way, I just, I feel oh, like great. I had a whole note, notebook of golden nuggets from Scott. Um, but it's critical for us to do that, to listen, to understand, to, to make them feel again, like they're, they're seen and they're represented. Yes. But marketers need to kind of sometimes don't often realize this is that the marketplace, as you said, it owes us nothing, right? We have to earn that. Yes. And that's, that's part huge. of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, you think about it. You know, I think I had the slide from a W. Edward Deming. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. It, it, I think he says what? It, uh, what? Survival is not mandatory. Right. Yes. Change yeah. It's yeah. not necessary because survival is not mandatory, you know. And I think sometimes and, and maybe, you know, maybe people aren't thinking like that anymore. But I mean, you think about it. We are, are the, the, the opportunities we have to buy products now. Mm-hmm. We have to be so different to be above the noise level, right? And so, and yet, even in that, we're finding that there are still markets that are yet to be untapped, that are yet to, that are yet mm-hmm. to be tapped. And again, I think it's, it, so there's lots of opportunity, right? Um, and, and I think that that's where, uh, you know, if, if an organization or if a, if a marketing professional is willing to kind of, kind of go to school, essentially, and, and relearn some stuff, Right. Mm -hmm. Because I tell people all the time that you can actually go with the four C's or the five or four P's or five P's if you want. But I would suggest that there's more to that. Because when you're actually going towards a particular audience, you also have to understand their psychology, their Mm -hmm. history. Right. It's other things that go further into their, you know, kind of their story. And so it's not a function of just, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to sell to you like I sell to everybody else. It's like, again, this, that's where that's the culturally competent leader, she knows that her team that reports to her, she can't lead them based upon one, one size fits all of leadership. She knows that that one loves to be celebrated in public. This one likes a pat on the back. This one likes just kind of one-on-one saying, you know what, great job. That's, that's also kind of a marketing mindset. This segment likes this, even in particular in this segment, there are particular populations within the segment that like this or that want you to talk to them this way. 
And I think that's where, if, if I could tell one thing, it's like one size does not fit all. We can't treat the communities like a monolith because they aren't. And I don't care if you talk about gender, age, whatever that might be, you can't treat them as though they're the same. You have to actually take time, kind of getting back to that, to listen. Mm -hmm. right? From focus groups, dialogue circles, whatever that might be, you have to take time to understand. And that means kind of going, going amongst them and just being a part of the community, finding out what's important to, to this age group, finding out you know, why they go there. Right? It's, those are all the parts where we actually learn their history. And I talked about it, those three things, right? We talked about it, the visual arts, the music, and the food tell the story. I mean, it's not the complete story. But man, it's a big part of, of every culture's story to become a fast study. Yeah, and I, I like as well um, that you had mentioned at one point during the presentation when you travel abroad, you go to different places that you seek out. Where do the locals go if you're going to go out and, oh, and have a meal rather than yeah. go to all the big tourist traps of, sure, you're going to go to Paris, you're going to check out the Eiffel Tower, but then right. find out where the locals go and, and really get a slice of that culture and that community. And, and that's, that's, a, that's an awesome thing. It really is. Well, and I laugh, Josh, because I actually, as you say, I had so many pictures of experiences, right? And I'm just thinking, I remember taking a bunch of grad students over to Shanghai. And these, again, these are, you know, these are folks that are director level and above, right? So, I mean, you know, they, 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 they know what they're doing. Well, we, we were in Shanghai now, I think it's maybe our fifth day. So I get the fact that maybe your palate's maybe fatigued, but I don't care. You're in China. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, and doggone it, you're a grad student and you got some, maybe some kids or at least a significant other at home, but you're, you're a grown up, Okay. So get over it. And, uh, we parked the bus in, in the town circle and said, okay, you've got an hour and a half for lunch. And man, they made a beeline towards McDonald's <laughs> Fridays, what? Kentucky fried chicken. I'm like, uh, you've got to be kidding. Wow. On this cultural excursion, by the way. So they got back on the bus full. I said, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> I said, we are not in China to have an American experience. We're in China to have a Chinese experience. Mm -hmm. And I said, so you've got 10 days. Just go for it, right? Dive into it, immerse yourself. Go into the markets, right? And, and, and explore, but, but don't go over there and try to make this thousands of year old culture adjust to your level of comfort. Mm-hmm. Go there and dive in. I remember being in uh, Jakarta. I was in Indonesia, and I told my my contact there, the marketing manager, by the way. I said, "Tootie, just so you know, I am not. Don't you please don't take me to anything that is American." I said, "I want to go where you would go." So we get in her car, and she drives me. We're in Jakarta, and she takes me. And all of a sudden, we're just going through this like these back roads. I'm like, "Okay, this is going to get really good." We get to this little. We get on this river, and there is this. Um, there's like this white building with the windows out. They're folded up and it's like this thatch roof. I'm like, okay, now we're talking. This is going to be real. You know, I kind of felt like this Andrew Zimmer moment of bizarre food. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, she's like, let's go here. This is where I go. And this is like, this is Indonesian to where some Indonesians are like, this is really Indonesian. Okay. I get in there and they serve me. The, she just orders something and she orders for me. Now, wherever I go, when I travel internationally, I always kind of, I don't, I don't drink Coca-Cola pretty much any other time except when I travel because it eats up everything, right? So it helps me. It's a layer that I put on my stomach when I travel. So I'm full of Coca-Cola, right? I'm just, I'm chugging it there. You know, I'm just like, okay. and so she gives, they give me this, this white bowl and it's got this bright orange stuff in it, right? I don't know what it is yet, right? So my mind is trying to, you're right, figure it out. And I see like this tentacle hanging over the side and I see this yellow thing. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not letting her know, but I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> right? I don't know what to do. But ever the ambassador, right? You know, Mr. Diversity, man. Ever the ambassador, I'm trying to say, okay, how do I do this, right? But again, in front of me, like I said in the session, food is a bridge. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to blow up that bridge. I may not understand that bridge, but I'm not going to blow it up because she's trying to say, we want to give you what I consider my best, right? So I start eating it, and my mind isn't your mind is my mind was planning on something hot. First of all, it was cold. Mm. The seafood was fresh from the river that I was looking at, and it was a shrimp egg soup. 
but it was cold. Hmm. My mind just trying to make sense out of this. And I'm just like, oh, my word. Okay. So I eat it. But what I, what I won with a friend, she's like, you're a different kind of American. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? From then on, I worked together. And even when I got back to the States, I had a friend. Right. And so that's where, you know, it, you want to go to these countries, enjoy their food, have them fix you something. Doesn't mean you have to eat it all. But it does mean that sometimes you stumble upon some crazy, amazing dishes. Mm -hmm. Like when I went to India, I'm like, okay, if I could have this kind of diet and be a vegetarian, I'm a vegetarian, right? Because I had some food that was mind blowing, but not with no meat in it. Yeah. So again, you just go and you just discover, but you promise to yourself, I'm going to go and have an authentic uh, experience, right? In that market, that one that is might push me outside my comfort zone. And it's not me taking my American bubble with me. Mm -hmm. Have you um, have you eaten at Pinned? What is that? Where is Pinned? It? Um, it's down. It's downtown. It's right across from the bar. Well, it's like right on the river. It used to be a market. There's a bunch of stuff that went through there recently. But it's an Indian restaurant, and it's amazing. Really, was good that stuff. where the FedEx was? Was that where that FedEx was? And it was it was a, a the burger place before that. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's where that is. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. I need to go there. They had, we, we had a, we went in on one day, my wife and I, right before it ended up closing down again, before the last round of pandemic, they had a buffet yeah. and oh my gosh, we just couldn't stop eating because everything was amazing. I mean, isn't it, I mean, to me, that's so much fun when yeah. you find a dish or, and a, and a, and a food, you're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that to me, that's in it. Again, I tell folks there's so many different doors into different cultures. Just choose one. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's going to someone that owns a clothing shop that is from that particular culture, right? I mean, there's so many different ways. You know, get online and look at some travel shows. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many different ways to engage different cultures and, and become a student of culture. And I think that's what I would say for folks. It's like now, even if you can't go to the country right now. Go ahead and go online and look at their travel shows or pull up a website from their ministry of tourism. Do something because it really is. It, it's I think it's just important for us these days to really be dialed in. That's one of my favorite things is following tourism associations on Instagram. They're phenomenal, like all around the world. Yes, they, they are phenomenal stuff. So. <laughs> One last thing before we get to our finishing questions, what I've been doing, I've got the uh, bike on the trainer in the basement and yeah. I've been pulling up these virtual walking tours. Mm -hmm. So it's like, where do I want to ride today? Well, let's ride in Paris. Let's ride great. in, I mean, in all these cities and a lot of them are walking, but it's like the tourists and everybody's walking around and they're focusing on all the architecture. That's and cool. Like, this is amazing. It is amazing. Right? So my thing is just like, you're in, so people don't have any excuse these days. No, right. You think about it, right? I mean, if you're gonna go on your bike, right, through your machine and this this real time, this this these maps and stuff, these the food shows. I mean, what is there to fear watching a, a show? There's Anthony Bourdain. Oh my god, man! I'm so it's tragic that he left us so I early. Know. I know. I, I went to South. I, I've been to Southwest three times, and he was there. I heard him speak in a, in a session, and he he was just as irreverent and wonderful as he was wow. on his show, you know? Yeah. But I turned it, I mean, that's what turns me into a foodie because you see these, the, the travel experiences and stuff, right? That's part of yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, when we travel, we like to eat our way around whatever city we go to, so. You know, one of the things we did, Josh, and this was really interesting. So we were in, uh, I think, well, this is like one of the times we took the kids to Disney for the first time. We went to Orlando, right? And what we did, we said, we're going to do something different. We would go, we went to a first restaurant that was a one-off. So there's no other type like it. We asked the chef or the owner there, now, where do you go eat? Yeah. We did our entire time in Orlando from the chef's palate. It was so powerful. I mean, our ice cream was curated. We went to a place that had a steak, brother and sister. We had, it was a steak. Uh, you could eat it. It was a, like this, it was a Spanish restaurant. It was like this ribeye you could eat with a fork. You didn't even need a knife. Oh. But only because the chef said, you got to go there if you want to. Yeah. Then we asked that chef, okay, where do we get dessert? And so it was just kind of cool that we let the chefs kind of curate it informally. That was fun. I think I would do that again now we have the opportunity. 
That's a fantastic yeah. idea. I love that. Yeah, one the, once these re restrictions are lifted, we're look out. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's wrap things up here. And uh, Scott, I think we got a pretty good idea around um, your why. But go ahead and reiterate, just in case we don't know what your why is. What what drives and motivates you? You don't really. I think as I thought about that, I love bringing communities together that haven't been in the same room before. I love that, and it's funny because I kind of run to those tough conversations while people run away from them. I love getting in the center because I try to help people see, you know what, there's so much we have in common, right? Um, and so I'm always connecting. Like I said, okay, Global Bridge Builders, they connect the organization to their marketplace and to their employees. Mosaic Film Experience, that connects kids with storytelling and uh, through different lenses and different culture, right? The Belonging Initiative that I started, it's about creating space in a room where people don't just feel welcome, but they feel like they can take a risk, right? So, I mean, it's just, Every, I kind of said, okay, so then what are the common themes? The common themes is I love bringing people together. I'm, a, I'm just, I'm a community guy. I like the tough conversations. And if you've never met each other, I'm really excited about that. And mm -hmm. I've literally have had emotional kind of responses, reading very teary out when I'm in these rooms occasionally where I look around and the languages are different and the people look different. And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. To me, it's perfect harmony. It's just, it's harmonic on so many different levels. And it's where I'm like, because we're just relating to each other as human beings. Mm -hmm. And that's the pot. That's what I, motivates me every day. Awesome. I love that. Well, I can kind of tell by your background and by just, you know, chatting with you for the, the last hour that you're probably an avid reader. So our next question is, what is your favorite book? Or if you're a podcast listener, what's your favorite podcast? Or that is not even fair, Megan. That oh, sorry. That's, it's like it's like you know, it's like what's your favorite city? Uh, right. Next one? It's like I don't know. <laughs> you know, let me see. I'm kind of like one of the books I really, really like. Oh, I loved Adam Grant, the originals. Mm -hmm. Powerful book. Then I actually like the Medici effect, and then uh, Sir Ken Robinson does a TED talk: How Schools Kill Creativity. He's got a book uh, about learning how people learn differently called The Element, an amazing book. Um, and it, it really talks about, the, it's not how smart are you, but it's how are you smart, mm -hmm. right? I love that book. Um, there's another book for marketers. This is interesting. Another book called Our Black Year. It's Maggie Anderson. She lives in Detroit, Chi-Town, uh, UFC grad. Um, she did a book where her family committed to buying from black businesses only for a year. Oh, wow. And you would think in Chicago, mm -hmm. they find any, anything and everything. If you read the book, you will be shocked at what they had to do just to finish the doggone study. And Kellogg School tracked every penny that they spent. And there were times when her daughter had to go to a party with sandals and a sundress because they couldn't find a black store owner that actually carried the things that they needed. Wow. So you've got, I mean, those things really interest me. And, yeah. and so Our Black Year is an amazing book. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like innovative, I like things about ways people think. Um, like right now, actually, Ari just sent me this because it's just come out. It's called Working Through Hard Times. Mm. That's his booklet. It just, it just happened kind of, it's his pandemic book. <laughs> and then <laughs> The Secrets of Sand Hill, which talks kind of about, VC and kind of that part of the country and what it kind of how they think about things so mm -hmm. you know that's those are kind of my oh, things yeah. and then podcast um one of my buddies had a, has a really good one called the get up mm -hmm. and it's Xavier Xavier Jernigan he's the head of cultural partnerships at Spotify he was my daughter one of my daughter's mentors that's how I met him. okay but I just like kind of how they talk about current events and a really in a real gritty uh, well, just a wonderful what their perspective and generationally it's diverse um, and it's three folks and they just talk about current events through that lens and it's really pretty amazing nice before i ask the last question i just have to know what are your thoughts about the uh 101 ways to enjoy the mosaic book? <laughs> oh that's funny josh you're right okay but you meant to do that so yeah this is kind of cool you know the, the thing is and i didn't want to bring it up i was like you know hey not not going to do that. But, of course know, we're going to bring well, it up. I know. I appreciate it, my friend. So the thing is, is that 
the way that this happened was is I had a client that said, you know, find a book for all of our employees that will just kind of meet people where they are. And I said, oh, yeah, that's easy to find. And I couldn't find one. So fast forward, I, I'm like, again, ever pro solving the problem. I wrote a book. I wrote a list. And then uh, it, the list got uh, the attention of a, of a publisher in San Francisco. And so she said, Scott, I love the list, but you're going to write short stories. And so what it is, it literally is, it's 101 ways for people to broaden their, their culturally diverse landscape. And it, and it meets you where you are. It's fun activity, but it's also very profound in its impact. I had the folks from Zingerman's do the illustrations. So it's that fun, quirky oh, Zingerman-esque type thing. Um, and it just, it's, I say it's a, you can enjoy it individually, but it's really enjoyed with a group because it's just, it's some fun stuff to do. So that's 101 ways that I wrote that. And, and uh, it, it's, it's a fun book. You know, it's a fun book uh, that I had the opportunity to write. Awesome. Well, I'm adding that to my list. Definitely. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Question for you. Yeah. Uh, based on your what you've learned throughout your career, uh, which sounds like just some amazing things that you've got going on, what is one piece of advice that you would offer to others? Oh, my word. Um, man. I really think that the thing that it, I guess I kind of go with what first comes to mind, and that is Ubuntu, right? It's it's always reach across to individuals, never reach down to them. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be great for people to kind of do a deeper dive in that because it's pretty profound. But I just think that you know when you talk about that, what you're saying is is I you you actually acknowledge people and you see them. And uh, I just, you know, because I think particularly as marketers too, um, not trying to shape the markets into our own image, but just find out the image that the market's made in and try to just be a part of it, you know. And I think Ubuntu plays a large part, that mindset, because it's, you go into a, you go into a, a situation, uh, whether it's talking to the person that might be without a home right now on the street, or it can be in a C-suite, you actually go into the, you, you actually treat the person the same way, whoever they are. And Ubuntu has really helped me kind of stay grounded as I do that. Mm -hmm. So it study isn't Ubuntu. Ubuntu, isn't that also, a, isn't that a language? It's a, well, it's funny because, you know, it, it's actually, a, I think it's it, of, of, of recent, it became like a software platform or something. I'm like, <laughs> Because I pulled up Ubuntu yeah. a while ago. I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's a software platform. I'm talking about It's like South an Africa. operating system. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I tell people, I'm talking about the one that Bishop, <laughs> Des, Des, Bishop Desmond Tutu, right, that, that he brought to the forefront. And uh, But I think there's, if I just said that one word, Megan, it actually mm -hmm. is a great room for people to walk in. And then I, I just think it, it connects people in so many great ways, mm -hmm. customer facing, internal facing. If you have that posture, I tell you, it's just um, life is really, really interesting. It's powerful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Scott. It's been such a joy chatting with you. Uh, oh, thank you for your knowledge. Fun. Yeah, it's been so much fun. So we, we can't thank you enough. Um, we always ask if our listeners want to connect with you, is there a way to, to connect with you and how might they get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Global Bridge Builders is the website and they can reach me at S-K-O-T, Scott, at globalbridgebuilders.com. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, I'm trying to think, I, let me, I, I can even tell you, I don't call it. That's why I don't know the number, but there is a, uh, <laughs> if they, no, if they go online to Global Bridge Builders, there's a toll free They'll number find there that, yeah. that they can find me <laughs> with that too, because I don't know that number. Awesome. That, yeah, that's how they can connect with me. And they can purchase a copy of your book. We'll mention that for you as well. We know you don't want to shamelessly plug it, but we will. We do. We want to <laughs> plug it. You. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. No, this has been great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. No, thanks for your time. We'll add Scott's contact information along with a brief summary of today's discussion and links to the reference resources in the show notes on the Marketers in Motion podcast page at amawestmichigan.org. Meg and I typically write down all the books and stuff they mentioned, but he mentioned so many. I don't know if I want to do that much <laughs> work. Re rewind the podcast and, and listen to that section over again. There you go. <laughs> 
All right, don't forget, our next virtual event is coming up on Tuesday, March 23rd from noon to 1, and it's a nice compliment to the discussion today. Join us as we welcome Joshua Barker, CEO of City Innovation Labs, as he shares with us tips on how to build an innovation-led organization. Details and registration information is at amawestmichigan.org. Under events, members and those unemployed or underemployed, remember, are free. Future members, only $15. And one more time, if you are interested in joining our board of directors for the 2021 2022 season, expanding your professional network, polishing up on your marketing skills, visit the about page at amawestmichigan.org. Check out the positions that we have available. We are a volunteer-led organization and are only as strong as those willing to commit to lead. Lastly, we do want to hear from you. What content are you loving? What do you want to hear more about? Let us know. We also encourage you to subscribe, review, and engage with us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and that list keeps going on because there are just more and more podcast providers. So check us out wherever great podcasts can be found. And uh, Megan, we'll see you next month. See you next month, Josh. Okie dokie. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content, and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired. Be creative, be bold, set your marketing in motion.